I owe JJ Piccolo a big apology because sometimes it is a matter of patience. You are Locked On Royals, your daily Kansas City Royals podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. We are back with another edition of Lockdown Royals on the Lockdown Podcast Network. As always, I am your host, Jack Johnson. Give me a follow on Twitter at JohnnyJ underscore 15. That's at J-O-H-N-Y-J underscore 15. And also go give us a follow on TikTok and Instagram. That's at Locked underscore on underscore Royals. It is very easy to find us on wherever you get your podcast. That can be Spotify, Apple Podcast, Amazon Music, Google Podcast. We're also live and always stream on YouTube, so be that next subscriber. Our goal is to get to 1,000 by opening day 2024. Today's show is brought to you by FanDuel. Just a couple of weeks left in the regular season. College basketball is about to enter conference play, so go into FanDuel now, create your account, and start placing some bets today. If this is your first episode ever tuning in, well, we, of course, always welcome new listeners here. And if you want to know a little bit more about me, uh, I'm just a sports junkie. I'm a baseball junkie. I work here in Kansas City at Sports Radio 810 WHB. I have a show once a week there and also have a show Monday through Friday on ESPN Kansas City. So I stay pretty busy with all things related to sports. But when you come to this podcast, you know that you are getting 30 straight minutes of Royals baseball. And we have been truly, uh, truly benefited and blessed with Quite an active offseason. I think for the most part, you know, when I was winding down the regular season, I was gearing up for maybe a couple of weeks, if not a couple of months, of scrounging together podcast ideas, segment ideas. And for a team that's coming off 106 losses, the cupboard can get pretty bare after a few weeks. I'm not shocking any of you by saying that. But you can only run through the same segments over and over and over again. You can only do that a handful of times. You know, is Bobby Wood Jr. going to get the extension? What to expect from Cole Reagans? What to expect from Vinny Pasquantino? I could have done that over and over again, but you would have grown tired of it. But fortunately, J.J. Bacolo and company made noise. They started making splashes. They completely overhaul the rotation. They overhaul the bullpen. They had a starting right fielder. They had a bench bat. They had a pitching piece for 2025. They added a couple of minor leaguers. So what I'm about to say is something that I feel like a lot of you out there should join with me. I am sorry, J.J. Piccolo. I am sorry for jumping the gun. I am sorry for judging you before you really had a chance to make a name for yourself. You know, I was definitely one of those people. Because the one thing I'm not going to do here today, I am not going to sit here and act like I envisioned this with J.J. McCall the whole time. I didn't. I really didn't. I felt like when the Royals promoted them, in terms of his whole team, everybody that was promoted after Dayton Moore was fired, I was a little bit let down. I liked J.J. Piccolo, but I felt like that was a point in time in the organization where a regime shift was needed. New voices needed to be implemented. 
So when J.J. Bacolo steps in and then you lose 106 games, it's it's hard to see the optimistic outlook. It's hard to back a guy who had been there almost as long as Dayton Moore and then kind of continued to do the same thing. You had one failed starter in Jordan Lyles. You don't piece together that great of a lineup. But what I did was foolish. I rushed to judgment because I was letting a past general manager dictate my opinion, right? I think the best analogy of it is when you break up with an ex, okay? Sometimes you always compare the next person to that ex, or sometimes the trauma you felt with that ex comes out in your new relationship. And that to me, I think is the best way to describe it. A lot of you, including myself in this, were quick to judge J.J. Bacola because the, the wrongs that he did, because he's not without fault, nobody is in baseball. What he was doing and the wrongs were very similar to what Dayton Moore was doing. Not being transactional, holding on to guys that didn't need to be held on to. And that brought up the past trauma. But at the same time, Dayton Moore was not some 15-year relationship that was all bad. I mean, the Royals won a World Series. And J.J. Bacola was a big part about finding some of that talent. But he didn't get his chance last year to truly put a stamp as a general manager. He didn't. And that offseason last year, I think I tried to give him grace. But when the losses started piling up, that's when I think I rushed to judgment. When the trade deadline happened and the Royals were quiet all afternoon long, I wanted to judge him. And I should have waited. I think the the smart baseball fan in me should have waited and said, hey, there is nothing this deadline can prove about him. But let us also back up to beginning of last year and make our way to now. All right, since the beginning of last year, J.J. Piccolo has brought in Cole Reagans, James MacArthur, Nelson Velasquez, went out and spent money, Michael Walker, Seth Lugo, Chris Stratton, Will Smith, Nick Anderson, Garrett Hampson, and they're still not done. The Royals also did all of that. J.J. Piccolo and company did all of that without any resources. That, that's the trick here. If J.J. Bacolo stepped into an operation, into an organization that had the number one farm system, you know, a number one overall pick coming into it, then maybe we can be a little bit harsher. But maybe my expectation for year one was way too high when it didn't need to be. We've gone from that point to believing, and it's a pipe dream, but believing this team can go win a division. That is quite a change in one year. And even though right now the odds would tell you that's not likely, the fact you're even believing it shows you the work that he's done in just one year. And sometimes baseball makes you quick to judgment, but it's a game about patience, not just with your team, not just with the manager, not just with Jim. It's everything. You have to be patient with Matt Quatrero. You had to be patient with Bobby Wood Jr., Vinny Pasquantino, Michael Garcia. And it just goes down the line. 
when the Royals were at their spot last year, last offseason, they knew it was going to be ugly. And you know what I've always appreciated and admired about J.J. Piccolo? He's honest, okay? He's honest about where they are. He's honest about where they plan to be, how much they're willing to spend. That should be appreciated more from this fan base. And I promise I'm not trying to be this hype man saying everything he does is great because, as I said earlier, every GM, every person in baseball has their red flags, has their faults. And at the end of the day, the Royals could still lose 90-plus games next year. That is a possibility. But the fact they're trying, and some people have commented and said, I'm not going to praise them for doing their job. Well, in my lifetime, the Royals haven't spent money like this and not coming off of years like they just did. They're trying to win now. They're not going to make fans wait anymore. They got players that other teams, contending teams right now, wanted to go out and get. They outbid them. They were willing to go the extra yard, the extra mile. And that, I think, deserves an apology from me. I should have been more patient in this rebuild 2.0, if you will. I also should have identified last year the green flags in this was signing a role as Chapman at maybe his lowest value and getting Cole Reagans for him and a lottery ticket. I should have known at that point, this is different. Getting Nelson Velasquez for Jose Quas, Finding out James MacArthur can be an elite bullpen arm. Those are the green flags I should have noticed. And then going into this year, being very open, very candid about what the floor was they were willing to spend, who they wanted to go after, and then be as aggressive as, we, as we've ever seen a general manager be for Kansas City. For that, I owe that apology. And if you want to apologize too, let me know in the YouTube comments below. Let me know on Twitter at JohnnyJ underscore 15. Or maybe you feel like you don't owe an apology. Maybe you're still mad. But I'm finding a hard time getting mad at J.J. Bacole after what this offseason has looked like. The optimism, the hope, the buzz around this team heading into 2024. I am sorry, J.J. Bacole, for jumping the gun. And I'm hoping that this is just the beginning of multiple years of fun off-seasons and fun regular season baseball games in Kansas City. Maybe it is, maybe it isn't, but we all know at this point J.J. Bacolo, John Sherman, they mean a little bit of business. All right, we'll take our first break of the show. When we come back here, Jake Brent survived the 40-man roster purge. Clearly, they think that he is worth something, and they believe that he can be something in 2024. Do I believe it? I'll tell you next on Locked on Royals. You are tuning to Locked on Royals on the Locked on Podcast Network. I'm your host, Jack Johnson. Give me a follow on Twitter at JohnnyJ underscore 15. That's at J-O-H-N-Y-J underscore 15. Before we go any further, let's give a shout out to the title sponsor today in FanDuel. Score early this NFL season with FanDuel, America's number one sportsbook. Right now, new customers get $150 in bonus bets with any winning $5 Moneyline bet. That's $150 if your team wins. If you've been thinking about joining FanDuel, there's no better time to get in on the action. The app is so easy to use, and there's a wide range of betting options that include spreads, player props, over-unders, and more. So visit FanDuel.com slash locked on and kick off the NFL season. That's FanDuel, the official partner of the NFL. 
Well, we'd always been speculating about 40-man roster moves. We had been speculating about the bullpen arms that likely needed to be removed. We had speculated about Edward Olivares and, you know, guys like John Heasley, guys like Josh Taylor and Jake Brents, who we're going to talk about. Now, the Royals, I think, kind of went according to plan with their 40-man roster moves. You know, they they moved on from Edward Olivares. They, they trade him to Pittsburgh for a lottery ticket guy, you know, a 21-year-old shortstop in A-ball. They move on from John Heasley. John Heasley never really had a spot in this bullpen. And even though he was working in the offseason at Tread, which turned Cole Riggins into a little bit of a superstar, they flip him to Baltimore for another prospect. Then you go to the trade they made with Taylor Clark. Okay, Taylor Clark was maybe a little bit more of a surprise, but me, I'm not trying to say I told you so or I proved you proved myself right. You know, Taylor Clark just felt like somebody that wasn't going to come back. They gave him that one-year deal, but it was very similar to the Ryan O'Hearn type of move. So Taylor Clark gets flipped to Milwaukee for a couple of prospects. So they're they're going a little bit of, of a transactional approach of not just cutting bait with guys, which in years past, it's exactly what they would do. They wouldn't really entertain the idea of trades. Maybe they did, but they never really progressed that far. And what would happen the Royals would DFA those guys. They'd get picked up, and lo and behold, they'd go shine. Now, Ryan O'Hearn's a good example. Yoel Piamps is a good example. And you could find numerous other examples over the past 10 years or so. But this time was different. They somehow got value in Jackson Coar. They got value in John Heasley and Edward Olivares and Taylor Clark. And then guys that I at least thought had a little bit of value, Colin Snyder, they DFA him. Just outright DFA him. Remove him off the 40-man roster. Well, Arizona comes swooping in. They add Colin Snyder to their 40-man roster. And I still think he's got a chance to be a good bullpen arm over there. But instead of taking the, I guess, easy approach, DFAing Jake Brents, who has thrown less than six innings in two years, or Josh Taylor, who's thrown less than 20 innings in two years, they DFA Max Castillo. You know, a 24-year-old arm that... Never really had solid footing on this team. Never really had a defined spot in the rotation. Never had a defined spot as an opener, as a bullpen guy. There wasn't really much there. And I didn't fault the Royals for moving on from him. But what it told me was that they think there's something in Jake Brents, more so than Josh Taylor. It's different because Josh Taylor pitched last year. Josh Taylor has had big league success before. He's been in the league for a while. You know, a power sinker ball pitcher. Um, you traded Alberto Mondesi for him. So maybe you weren't as willing to just trash that trade, right? You weren't willing to just give up on it at this point. But the fact they kept Jake Brins was very much intriguing to me. And maybe I should have you know, dug a little bit deeper, uh, gone into why. I mean, they gave him a two-year deal coming off of his Tommy John surgery, if you will, his arm surgery elbow surgery, whatever it was. Now, the fact they believed Jake Brents could become the 2021 version of himself again gives me hope. Because I also think the Royals entered this offseason being more cutthroat. You know, removing guys that were not going to bounce back. Or at least they didn't have hope were going to bounce back. Now, you move on from Snyder, from Castillo, from Coar, from Taylor Clark. A little bit more cutthroat, which is what I loved. 
But Jake Brents, you know, having six innings, I think it was five and a third innings to his name, in 2022 and 23 combined, the fact you're giving him another chance in spring training, that has opened my eyes. Because sometimes we just forget how good or valuable a player was on a losing team. The 2021 Royals were the most competitive Royals team since 2017. In this ugly five-year stretch, it was the group that was the most fun to watch. And Jake Brents made that bullpen a lot better. You know, he was you know, reaching a, an absurd amount of innings. His ERA was in the 3.6s. You know, he's hitting triple digits, power slider, a changeup that reached over 91-92. Like, it was a, the epitome of an electric arm. He just felt like the best find the Royals had had in years because he was a career minor leaguer. He threw hard, could never throw strikes. They harnessed him a little bit. And then in 2022, he barely got started in April and then got hurt. And I almost wonder if he was never healthy to begin the year. So the Royals still believed in him. There, there is something in the tank. So they gave him a multiple-year deal. Not worth much, but hey, we want to stash him away. They knew that he was likely going to be out for all of 2023. I thought we might have seen him at the very end of the year because he went on a rehab assignment, but then he had a setback. So injury is still a concern. But man, I started to think about it a little bit more and came to the conclusion that if this pitching staff, this development team, and the Royals believe going into this year, he's worth a 40-man roster spot, it is worth keeping your eye on. I really do believe that. Because you don't just hang on to guys with one year of big league success, haven't pitched really in two years, and say he's still worth a 40-man roster spot. They DFA'd younger guys, more durable guys, to keep Jake Brents. And I'm sure the Royals are still looking for that last piece in the bullpen. But that last spot could also go to Jake Brents if he really shines in spring training. Because the perfect scenario is Jake Brents rolls into surprise, that velo is back, and you kind of see that 2021 flash to him again. Because if they can add that to this bullpen, the, the sky really is the limit. We know we, they have raised the floor of this bullpen. I want to know if they can take it to the next level. Maybe you don't need to look elsewhere. Because if the 2021 version is still in there, that's a flame-throwing left-handed pitcher. Those are not common in many big league bullpens. We see right-handed flamethrowers all the time. you got a lefty that throws 98, 99, 100 with a little bit of control. Every flamethrower is going to have his hit-and-miss nights. You know, where maybe he walks two, hits a batter. That happens. But I'm just a little bit more intrigued now than I was three weeks ago, four weeks ago. Because I thought Brents might have been, you know, a guaranteed lock to be DFA. I know that's maybe not the right terminology to use in terms of a guaranteed lock, but he survived it. He has survived the 40-man roster purge. And that's very telling to me. I think Brents could have been a guy that cleared waivers. He might have chosen free agency, but he could have cleared waivers. But the Royals didn't want to take any chances. They didn't want to move on from him. And I think he's going to have a damn good chance in spring training to make this team.
if that velo is back, he might be that final piece in the bullpen for 2024. I'm not saying it's a lock. At the bare minimum, I'm just intrigued about Jake Brents. All right, before we move on to our final segment, want to give a shout out to Locked On Sports today. It's here for you 24-7, covering the top sports stories of the day with the local experts of Locked On, plus our national shows covering every league. Go to Locked On Sports today on YouTube and subscribe to the first ever national sports 24-7 streaming channel. Well, this Royals outfield has gotten really crowded with the addition of Hunter Renfro. How does it shake out? Is anybody else getting traded? And who do I think is going to be there when the Royals open up against the Twins at the end of March? I'll tell you next Next on Locked on Royals. You are tuning to Locked on Royals on the Locked on Podcast Network. I'm your host, Jack Johnson. Be sure to give me a follow on Twitter at JohnnyJ underscore 15. That's at J-O-H-N-Y-J underscore 1-5. Also, go subscribe to us on YouTube. We've been doing a great job in the month of December of really increasing that count as we get closer and closer to opening day 2024 and also closer to that 1,000 subscriber goal that I set all the way back at the beginning of the offseason. Well, I know with the winter meetings concluding, Christmas right around the corner, baseball offseason is going to die down a little bit. Shohei Otani is signed. I think the Royals have made the most of their big moves. There might be a couple of minor moves here and there, but they've done the heavy lifting. So at this point, we can start uh, penciling in starters for opening day. We can start penciling in, you know, just guys on the 26-man roster. And a big question mark I've gotten a lot, or at least a lot of questions, a big question mark I have and the questions I've been receiving is, who's going to be in this outfield? I think you know who the starters are going to be, but this outfield is crowded. Uh, there is going to need to be a move or two to solidify this group because the Royals have kind of done a overhaul in a sense where they're just throwing guys in spots that maybe they don't need, but you kind of feel like you have good depth there if you pick up what I'm putting down. Like they didn't really need Garrett Hampson. They had Nick Lofton. They had Samad Taylor. Now, they had super utility guys, but they wanted depth. So they go out and get Garrett Hampson. They didn't absolutely need Hunter Renfro, but they wanted to upgrade over Drew Waters and over Edward Olivares. I believe they've done that. So the starters left to right for me, it's a no-brainer at this point. We're going to see MJ Melendez in left field on opening day. We are going to see Kyle Isbell in center on opening day. And we're going to see Hunter Renfro in right field. In terms of guys that can also play the outfield, Garrett Hampson can go out there. Drew Waters can go out there. Nelson Velasquez can go out there. You've got guys that can play the outfield. So that's six outfielders, technically. I know Garrett Hampson would probably rather play the infield. Now, if he had his choice, you're talking third base, second base, shortstop. But Drew Waters, I think he's your fourth outfielder. Nelson Velasquez, I think he's pretty much your DH. But there's going to be days that you DH MJ, and he'll need to play left field. There will be days you DH Hunter Renfro, and Nelly's going to need to play right field. So there's a lot of mixing and matching here, and that's not a bad thing. right? That's not a bad thing at all. I've had people, you know, reach out to me and say, you know, MJ's getting traded. I think MJ should be traded. I don't want to see MJ out there anymore. He's terrible defensively. The bat doesn't hold up. I really want to urge fans to look at the big picture here of who MJ is, what he can be, and why I think the Royals are going to hang on to him. 
right? Last year at this time, MJ Melendez was ferociously working on catching skills, on framing. We heard a lot about that in April when he was improving his framing skills. Like he was working as a catcher. So you spend when the season ends, and by the way, he debuted as a catcher, right? He was playing catcher in DH when he came up in 2022. So then he goes into the offseason. Hey, you got to improve your framing skills. We want you to be our backstop, or at least the backstop to Salvi when he's catching your DH. So he's working on catching. Then all of a sudden, after April, MJ's defense isn't great behind the plate. They say, let's go learn right field. Okay, so he learns right field on the fly. Never really played there in his career. Then they go, uh, maybe right field's not the fit. Let's go to left field. So he's changing all these spots in the outfield. No wonder he wasn't great. You're talking about a catcher turned outfielder. And might I add, he played third base in Omaha before he got called up. So he's bounced around because of his athleticism. I think we're going to see a significant jump defensively from MJ this year because he's gone into the offseason working on outfielding, working on how to be a left fielder. He's athletic enough, and he's going to be playing in the Puerto Rican Winter League coming up here, I think, next week. So he's going to get even more work there. That, I, I think, alone is going to show the, the early growth of his career. And offensively, he was one of the Royals' best hitters in the second half. You may take that as, hey, that those were meaningless games. It doesn't matter. Not to him. Not to this team. Young guys performing was a big part of it. You saw the, the great approach, the walk rate, the power come back a little bit. I think MJ is poised for a great 2024. And him out there in left field, I have no problem keeping him there. As for Kyle Isbell, defense is great. And I know that Kyle Isbell is more so of a, He's great defensively, but I think that's the best way to describe him. Great defensively, but the, the bat's not there. It's never been there. And so for a lot of fans, you're done with that. You want to have a center fielder who's got some thunder that can come up to the plate and, and start a rally, can drive in runs, can draw walks. You know, you're looking for Lorenzo Kane again, and you're not going to get that in Kyle Isbell. But the good thing about Kyle Isbell and the good thing about defensive center fielders, you don't need to be a silver slugger. You don't need to be an offensive workhorse. You need to be league average or slightly below, and you are a very valuable player. Incredibly valuable. If you don't believe me, it doesn't have to be center field. But remember the 2021 season with Nicky Lopez. Nicky hit 300 that year. And he had his gold glove defense. He had an OBP north of 360. Not a lot of pop. But he was like a five-war player. And that was hitting above and beyond. If he was a three-war player with barely any offense, that's still really valuable. And for Kyle Isbell, you know, if he can stay healthy and really just have the progression in spring training, I think there's value out there in center field. I'm willing to give him one more shot. If it doesn't work out, Maybe you roll with Drew Waters. Maybe you roll with somebody in the minor leagues, like a, a Nick Lofton or a Tyler Gentry, or if Javi Vaz continues to tear it up in double A. Maybe you make that move. But for now, I'm all right keeping him in center. As for right field, it's Renfro. You sign Renfro to be your starting right fielder. There's a lot of pop. If you can get the 21 and 22 versions of himself and not the 2023 version, that is a lot of value. That, that's a lot of pop 
in the middle of the lineup that you need. And defensively, he's got a cannon. He can lock it down over there in the corner. And that, to me, is an upgrade over what Drew Waters could give you or what Olivares could give you. They felt like they saw the most from those guys. Hey, if you can't stay healthy, you can't field, you have too many toot blands, we're not going to put you out there. And then it comes to the bench here. Drew Waters, Nelson Velasquez. The good thing for Velasquez, I think his spot is solidified at DH. I don't think there's going to be much competition there. And they're going to rotate guys. Hunter Renfro's going to DH games. MJ's going to DH games. Salvi's going to have to DH. And Fermin's going to catch. And Velasquez may play the field. So he feels fine in that rotation. Garrett Hampson, he's here to be super utility. Wherever somebody needs a breather, he can go in and replace him. Drew Waters is kind of the odd man out to me. You know, do you flip him for something? Do you trade him? I mean, he's a former first-round pick. He's a switch hitter. There's value there. He's good defensively. But, man, the swing and miss is a problem. The durability is a problem. And at the end of the day, if you're going to trust somebody to give you 500 ABs in a season, durability is a big part of it. And if you are out there and and striking out 30% of the time, that's not valuable to a lineup, especially when you're not running into 25, 30 home runs a season. The Royals have had too many of those guys. Nick Prado, Drew Waters. That's very problematic. Even MJ the first half of the year. If you strike out that much, you got to have thunder in your bat. Drew Waters doesn't really have a lot of thunder that he's shown consistently. We've seen it in in splashes, glimpses, sparks, whatever you want to call it. We've seen it, the 465-foot home runs. But if it's not on a consistent level, you can't be an everyday player. Maybe Drew Waters is fine being the fourth outfielder. Maybe he's got some role that I don't really know yet. What about Dyron Blanco? Dyron Blanco might give you more value now as a fourth outfielder than Drew Waters does because of his speed and because of his overall skills at the plate. A little bit better, a little bit more advanced than Drew Waters. So we'll see how it plays out. There's still three months or two months before spring training, but that's kind of how I see the state of the outfield right now. That's how I see the depth looking like for the Kansas City Royals. Well, that's going to do it for another edition of Lockdown Royals and the Lockdown Podcast Network. I've been your host, Jack Johnson. Be sure to give me a follow on Twitter at JohnnyJ underscore 15. One last shout out to Locked On Sports today. It's here for you 24-7, covering the top sports stories of the day with the local experts of Locked On, plus our national shows covering every league. Go to Locked On Sports today on YouTube and subscribe to the first ever national sports 24-7 streaming channel. Well, tomorrow we're going to dive into this rotation and how much better I really think it is, plus a little bit of an update on how some players in the Winter League are doing, or at least starters in Kansas City. Maybe they're bench players, but how they're faring in their respective Winter Leagues. But until then, you take it easy, Kansas City.